in one of the companies that I worked, they provided training to get rid of your accent. So I always had in my mind, I need to get rid of my accent. I decided not to pursue it. I thought, this is crazy. What did you notice? My energy was entirely dedicated to delivering my message. Powerful message for all leaders today. Because it goes, of course, the accent is representative of the bigger authenticity picture. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have a great one coming to you from Cynthia Kleinbaum Milner, who is the Chief Marketing Officer over at Moneylion, a publicly traded fintech company that is providing every American a path to financial freedom. Now, back to Cynthia, before Moneylion, she served as a senior leader at Walmart, Bonobos, BCG, and Nestle with an MBA from the Harvard Business School. And now she's co-hosting a new podcast called A La Latina, where she interviews C-level Latinas from Fortune 500 companies as a way to provide millennial Latinas with role, with role models and a playbook to reach the top of corporate America. Now, Moneyline, in case you're not familiar with it, is an all-in-one digital financial solution that gives people access to a comprehensive suite of, of products and personalized education that makes it more engaging to bank, borrow, save, invest and grow all in one app. Cynthia, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ben. And thank you for the great introduction. Oh, man, you have an incredible background and I'm so fired up for today. So many different questions that are percolating for me. But let's start with what was it like making that big transition from Walmart to Moneyline? Because Let's just say those are two pretty different companies, two pretty different organizations. A huge global retailer into the fintech world. So, so big jump there. Yeah, I mean, obviously the scale is very different. Marketing is similar wherever you are. If you have bigger budgets, you buy different media. But the the playbook is very similar. Hmm. I think the the because you understand if you understand the customer. Even if if you think about human behavior and human needs in the most basic term, people want to be happy. People want to feel fulfilled. And the two most basic ways in which companies can enable that, it's either by saving people time or saving people money so they can then do with their money or their time whatever they want. And that's kind of why... Walmart succeeded, right? Save money, live better. People don't just want to save money to save money. They want to save money to live better. Yes, yes. Okay. I'm I'm with you. I took a job in a fintech (laughs) that is helping people make the most out of their money to manage their money better so they can do with their life and with their money what makes them happier. So that's what I mean by in marketing, it it doesn't... Mm matter what you're marketing. The playbook is very similar. I think the main difference to me when I moved to Money Lion from a functional perspective was that when you're doing product uh, marketing for a product that 
hasn't really solidified the product market fit, you do a lot more experimentation. And in Walmart, mm. obviously, it's a it's a very established company. It has a very <laughs> solid. Yeah, who doesn't know Walmart? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I was doing marketing for the newest products for Walmart Plus and the mm. the, the mobile app and online grocery. So there was an element of finding. Okay, that's a fit then. Like you'd already had that background. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I would say the biggest learning to me was to slow down when I when I joined Money Lion. And I mm. I I think this is like good learning for anyone joining as a leader in a new company that you show up, at least I showed up, and I was so eager to to implement my playbook, right? To do what I've done in many companies. And I very quickly realized that it wasn't going to go that way. It wasn't going to work because mm. I needed the the collaboration of many people from the company that I didn't know. They were, we have, a, we're a global company and many of the people that I needed to collaborate with were in Malaysia and I didn't mm. understand the culture. I didn't understand how important it is to build a personal connection and to build trust before you can ask, start asking oh, for help. So it, it, it hit me quickly because I showed up and I was like, I need these dashboards. This is These are the changes we're going to make. And then I would ask a week later and nothing had moved. And I had to think really hard. What am I doing wrong yeah. here? Why are things not working mm. out the way that they worked out when I did this in American companies? And I started to understand the nuances of of cultural differences and how people work in different places and how important it is for for my team in Malaysia to get to know them, to build the trust before I start trying to execute my playbook. And in, in a way, I didn't even execute my playbook because after engaging with them and learning from them, I modified my playbook and now it's our playbook and we're doing something that feels much more collaborative. But I was pretty frozen as soon after I joined by my wow. inability to drive action. And I took a plane, I went to Malaysia, I met the team, built the relationship, and it's almost like I put some oil in the machine and everything started working. The wheels of commerce began to turn at that moment. Yes, exactly, exactly. So... I just want to point out to the listeners. I mean, you all heard Cynthia's heavyweight credentials. List of all-star companies she's worked for. Harvard MBA, the King School, Queen School of Business Case Studies. And it all comes down to trust, right? You may have the best playbook from Harvard, but if you don't have the trust of the team and take the time to get to know the people, the team may not execute. We we study a lot of that at HBS, by the way. I think there there oh, yeah. is a conception that we study finance and and business cases, mm -hmm. but there's a heavy emphasis on leadership and on on awesome. people management and relationships. Yeah, huge. Well, it sounds like you brought it into play. Yes, I did. I did. Um, and when you have a lot of success, I think there is you know there is a saying. I'm not sure who said it that success is a terrible teacher. And if you have a lot of wins in your career, that can help you get bigger opportunities. But sometimes you got to take a step back when you get in these situations. You know, it's like, hey, this worked at all these other companies. Why is it, you know, what's the missing ingredient here? It sounds like you're able to analyze that and put it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely learn more from your mistakes than from your success. <laughs>
Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. All right, so I know, you know from what I've been reading on LinkedIn from you, you're a big believer in leading with authenticity. And I think that, that word is powerful, but it also gets tossed around a lot. Yeah. Uh, from your perspective, what does it mean to lead with authenticity? Um, well, I like the framework from Kim Scott about um, mm. radical candor. So We've had her on the show, too. Oh, yeah. yeah, great. So I, shout I, out I, to Kim. She'll yeah. love this. That's what, yeah. I, what I follow, radical candor. I think that right. if I care about my team, I'm also going to expect from them high-quality work. Mm. And... I have very a very high bar for the work that they deliver, but I'm also empathetic about the circumstances that they may be going through if they are not able to deliver the quality that I expect. So there may be many reasons why somebody is not delivering on their on, on my expectations, right? It may be they're in the wrong role. It may be that the project is set up in a way that it's just too hard for anyone and I have to step in. So I, I try to dig in and understand but when you when you say what does it mean to lead with authenticity at least to me it means that i don't spend so much time trying to fit in that i can't focus on my work because mm. there is too much energy in the us of people women minorities that go to work and they spend a considerable amount of their energy trying to fit in mm-hmm. which means they're not spending that energy doing great work so, yeah, I don't know if it was because of how I was raised. I have been told by my my team and my husband that it doesn't look like I care about what like of what people think of me. I definitely care. I I I care as much as as anyone else, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't paralyze me because I can't really control it. So, I worry a little bit, but I can't control it. There was a I think like the worst piece of advice I got was goes against that authenticity mm. used to, I'm not going to name which company, but in one of the companies that I worked, they provided training to get rid of your accent. So I always had in my mind, I need to get rid of my accent. I need to get rid of my accent. And it has been part of my, like the elements that build my imposter syndrome has been my accent. Mm. When I started thinking about uh, making the podcast, I thought the first thing I need to do is to get rid of my accent because how can I be, how can I have a podcast in English where people won't understand what I'm saying? And I hired a trainer. I hired a coach that specializes in getting rid of your accent. And I can't remember like 30 minutes that were worse than those 30 minutes I spent with her on just like the screening session it was a Zoom and I was speaking and she would be writing on the notes of the Zoom the words that I was pronouncing wrong. And basically she was transcribing my conversation. Everything was wrong. And it was really overwhelming. I decided not to pursue it. I thought, this is this is crazy that I'm doing this. And one of the episodes of the podcast, which I, it's gonna, uh, this episode is gonna be one of the um, September episodes. It's with a woman who has built her entire leadership persona 
on her accent because she also was told that she needed to get rid of her accent. And then somebody told her, I love your accent. And then everything clicked and she Mm. like put that baggage away, started being her authentic self and that unleashed her potential. So I think to me, my accent was one of the things I, I thought that was preventing me from being myself, from doing great work or like better work. And now I'm very comfortable with it. And I think every any company that has a training to get rid of the accent, they should remove it. You should be understandable. It's it's not about like diction. People should be under like should be able to understand what you're saying. But accents are beautiful. So I'm like proud of my accent now. Oh, I love your accent. Thank you. And I love that story. Question that comes up for me is. That moment when you decided, I'm not going to go forward with this accent changer. Yeah. And I want to go just really own on my accent. What what did you notice when you started showing up to meetings, started giving presentations and really feeling like I'm going to own my accent? I was just so much more relaxed. I could feel it in my in my body posture. I could feel it in how I felt after the meetings. If I, you know, like after a meeting, you give yourself kind of a grade. You're like, did I kill it? Was I able to manage the conversation? Did my message come through? And I just was much more articulate. As I was telling you before, my energy was entirely dedicated to delivering my message. I had no energy dedicated to, did I pronounce this word right? Did people understand this? Like, yes, I'm going to assume that people understand. And if not, Hopefully somebody's going to come and ask me what I said. Oh, man, powerful message for all leaders today. Because it goes, of course, the, the accent is representative of the, the bigger authenticity picture for yeah. all of us to really step into that. And it doesn't mean you're imposing yourself on others as a leader. It's I'm just trying to be my true self and yeah. how I communicate my message and my vision. and. um I mean, the world, what, what, so if you walked into Money Lion tomorrow and everyone was really owning their authenticity, what, how would you think, how do you, how do you think you would see it showing up? Well, I think my team feels very comfortable being authentic uh, because I create the forums for them to be authentic. We have, we have rituals, for example, where every Monday, we all say what we did over the weekend. And I mean, many times it's like what I did over the weekend was I was taking care of my kids. It's not nothing super fun. I didn't take a picture or my kids were sick or whatever struggle. There was no selfie. There's no selfie. <laughs> uh, and then, so I think my team does a very good job and it's permeating in the rest of the organization. There Another routine uh, or tradition that I have that I learned from... I think this comes from McKinsey. I didn't work in McKinsey, but I think it's a tradition from McKinsey. It's called the barometer meeting. And in my last like four or five companies, I've done this, which is every month, quarter, however, depending on the size of your team, it's how often you can actually engage in this type of conversation. But I ask my team to sit in a room with me and tell me how are they doing on four criteria. Number one, uh, how do they feel like they're contributing to the success of the company? And this is all on a one to five scale. Do they feel like they're contributing? Are they learning? 
appropriately mm. because you want people to feel challenged. Yes. But not so challenged that they have no idea, like the work that they're doing, but they still have to be learning the work-life balance and are they inspired by the leadership? Mm. And the secret for this meeting to be successful, it's what you just said, authenticity and, and vulnerability. It's not anonymous. I expect everybody to put how they're feeling and to be able to talk to me in front of the rest of the team about it. And I do the same. So I tell them, you know what? This month has been really tough for me. I had whatever. I'm launching the podcast. So I feel like I'm, I have too much on my plate. So Mm -hmm. my work-life balance is not great. Or I'm even as open as I actually am not that inspired by our leadership. I mean, now I'm in the leadership, but previously, I when I was <laughs> I'm not junior, inspired by myself. Yeah, uh, when I was <laughs> more junior, I would say, you know what? I'm not inspired. But I explain it to them. I explain to them. I think that our leadership may be missing this angle, and I want to help them. So my team sees that I'm totally transparent with them. That I'm not like trying to portray this picture perfect of I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, everything is perfect, everybody should be feeling engaged and working nonstop and forget about your life. Like I just, I, I, I bring my full self and I give them a forum to bring the full, their, it's not the full self, but like the full self to the appropriate yeah. <laughs> circumstances, you know. There is a fine line, exactly, or maybe exactly. not a fine line, a big line where it's okay, okay. Yeah, that, that's for afters. But no, yeah. I think I think your your framework there, Cynthia, is powerful for leaders listening to right now. You might want to skip back thirty seconds and listen to that framework. Because what I heard was you're, on that barometer. Once you go through that with them, once it may be a little struggle the first time because they're like, I don't know. But if you do that regularly, yeah, you're going to start calibrating your team to what's important, and. I love that first question, which helps them think about, you know, do you feel like all your work that you're doing, your effort, is it contributing to the bigger picture of the company? And a lot of times they may not get that. And that's a great opportunity for you to help them, right? There is no correlation between how much somebody is driving in terms of value and how much they feel they're driving. I've seen people that are driving so much value and they go to the barometer meeting and they're like, I feel like my work is not really moving the needle. And then people that are really not having that much value, they're like, this company couldn't survive without me. (laughs) So it's a very good forum to to, uh, level. It's also a great forum to put the onus on them to make Mm. change. And to trust each other. Like if somebody is, it's been like the third meeting that somebody's work-life balance is really bad and the rest of the team feel like they can take things off their plate, they help each other. And the cherry on the top of having this conversation is that since I've been having these meetings, nobody has quit my team. I've had zero attrition because if somebody has been coming to this meeting consistently struggling, we're having those conversations offline. Like mm-hmm. I, I do follow up with people that show up and sh- look like they're struggling. So if, wow. if it's out, we move them. If it's not the right company, they can leave. But it's not like one day somebody puts time in my calendar and they're like, "I'm I quit." That doesn't happen. What a great thing to! I mean, that that's a big win. I was going to ask, we know what have the results been since you implemented that in your current organization? It sounds like no quitting. I mean, eventually it happens, but, you know, but you've been able to retain a team 
an organization, you know, where you came in as a CMO. So I mean, if, if people quit, you know they're gonna quit. You're prepared. They yeah. give you the time because you know they're struggling. It's when I was younger in my career, I started to have a PTSD of people putting time in my calendar with no agenda. I was like, they're gonna quit because I couldn't retain them. I, I I was just so clueless on how to like help people succeed. So I hope others can can do the same because it's very costly to have. Oh my gosh. We spent a lot, of time, a lot of time talking about that. And it sounds like you really got a system now that's a harder lesson. And a, and you've learned a lot from that. And you've really channeled it positively in, into where you are today. One, one sort of logistics question on that front. Do you go through the four things as a group? Yeah. It's a every, sur- everyone's hearing where everyone else is on the barometer. Yeah. It's okay. a survey. It's a Google Doc, like a Google form. So I flesh it up and I say, okay, so 50% of the team is this, this, this. And I say, okay, anyone that ranked yourself below like average, what's going on? Okay. All right. And it's not anonymous. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, What a great communication tool. All right. So great. All right. So I I could keep going down that road and I think you have a lot more to offer in that, but I've got to get into, because we're on a podcast. Yeah. I'm into podcasting very much so. And uh, working with leaders on that. And so you've got a really interesting podcast launching. What is at the heart and soul of A La Latina? Do you know what percentage of Americans are Latina women? I do not. 9%. Do you know what percentage of board members of public companies are Latina women? Probably a lot less than that, I'm guessing. About 1%. Same oh, thing, there's like very, yeah. very few in executive level roles. And yeah. I was working at Walmart when this idea like came to me. I started going to do store visits and meet meeting all these Latina women in the stores that would approach me and ask me, how did you get to corporate? But I didn't really start in the stores. I always started in corporate and I, I couldn't, help them. Like I, I would have calls sometimes with them and be like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Tell your manager. But I, I realized that I didn't have a playbook to give Latina women in the U S did a little bit Mm. of research. And it turns out that like the first piece of research made me want to cry. Latinas are the least represented group at the highest level of Mm. corporate America. Also the group that retires with the least financial stability with less money and we don't have networks to rely on we don't have mentors and mm-hmm. the one that i wanted to touch on we don't have role models there's because there's very few women at the top you don't see yourself and if you don't see yourself at the top yeah. you you can't be it so the first idea was you know what i'm going to interview latina women at the top and i'm going to just put it out there from my living room, it's going to be a, a small thing. Let's see how how it, uh, this works. And every time I told somebody about this idea, they wanted to help. So the, like within a couple of months, I had a very long list of Latina women that I could interview. Somebody introduced me to, to Claudia, is her name. And she was also thinking, how can I make... How can I help? And she's been working. She has a foundation called We're All Human. And she has a Mm. program 
through which 300 CEOs of, of uh, corporate America, the biggest companies, signed a pledge to hire more Latinos, promote more Latinos. So our goals were in alignment. We decided to, to partner and we started shooting and we're launching on uh, September 13th. It's going to be to like as part of Hispanic Heritage Month. The conversations are with C-level Latinas in Fortune 500. And like we talk a little bit about their story because I I, I, I really want to show Latinas that when you see somebody at the top, it's not all glamour. Like we interviewed somebody this past week that told me that she came from Cuba when she was three years old with her mom, expecting that her dad was going to show up right after and he showed up when she was 17 years old because he became a prisoner a political prisoner in cuba so i oh. see her and i'm like you are this super successful latina that is paving the way for the next generation and it's hard to identify ourselves with you when we see you in this pedestal but when we bring you down and we show your struggle and we show your journey i think oh, like younger latinas are gonna be able to see themselves reflected better. And then the second element is the playbook. We really go mm-hmm. and ask the actionable advice that people can take to get that promotion, to get that job, to be assigned that high visibility project, to be considered for a role that only a rock star would be, you know? So we're we're trying to create a playbook with very specific tips that can be useful. Love it. That, my friends, is the power of podcasting. And I mean, that that's a perfect use of this form. And that's one of the reasons I love it because it's in conversation. You're going to be in a relationship with, with your guests and it's easier to listen to. And having long form allows you to really explore around, you know, kind of like this interview with you. We're really exploring around your career. And in the details, not the sound bites is where the possibilities exist. And that. Twitter, X, whatever they call it, everything, everything, Instagram. I like all this stuff, but it's not long form, y'all. Um, and if you're willing to listen to the conversation, you can glean so much more richness. It's so much more memorable. People don't remember yeah. a TikTok video unless it goes viral. It's that one out of three million, but they yeah. remember a podcast or something that they really care about. Yeah. And I'm excited. Thank you. Hey, Sider, for you know, I was just thinking as you were telling the story, this came back. I hadn't thought about this in a long time. Because we were talking, I, I lived and I lived in the US, but I worked in Mexico and Latin America a lot in my first job out of school. I was an industrial engineer. Uh-huh. And one of our manufacturing locations, uh, we identified a woman uh, there that was really a strong leader uh-huh. in the manufacturing location. And I was like, man, you are going to be so great. We really want to promote you into a higher role. And uh, she said, Ben, um, I can't take that position. And I was like, why Why can't you take this more money? She's from your family. But she was concerned because of the dynamic with her husband, who also worked in the plant, that she was going to be above him yeah. in ranking. She wasn't going to, she was, he was not going to report to her. Yeah, but just the status. And and, and this was in a village that, I mean, it wasn't in a big city. It was in a village. But yeah, the dynamics of the Latin culture down there made it really complicated for her to navigate it. I can see that. And she ended up refusing the promotion. 
Although we kept trying to develop her anyway, because we're like one day, you know, but it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. It just really triggered something for me in that. And yeah. I hope that through your podcast, you know, you're, you're going to reach a lot of people at all levels. I, I, I hope she, I wish she had seen this and she had seen a Latina woman like her. Cause I, I bet you that if there had been a Latina woman with a husband, also in maybe a lower level of the organization, she would be like, okay, if that, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's very powerful. Yeah. And this was, this was a while ago. I mean, we're talking like this was 19, this is probably like 2000, but still it probably existed. I'm sure these things are happening. And so I do think, uh, it sounds like a great podcast Thank and you. we'll put a link in the show notes. I watched the trailer Thank and you. that was a cool trailer. You all yes. put some real thought into it. And it sounds like you and your, yeah, I thought it was cool because you and your co-host were balancing out of English and Spanish, right? So you're bringing both. Yes. Both, yes. Both to the show. I mean, the podcast is in English, but we, I mean, when we speak, we're speaking a little bit of Spanglish, right? We put Spanglish, some yeah. Phrases, some phrases are just so much better in Spanish. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. All right. So yeah, this has been an amazing interview, a lot of fun. What's your parting thought for our listeners today? We build culture as much by who we hire as by who we fire. And I don't mean firing as like really firing, but like managing out respect. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a huge cost to organizations because of attrition, but also there's a huge cost to organization because we keep people in the wrong seat or we keep people that don't perform. So mm -hmm. and and we're doing it at, we're doing a disservice to the company and we're doing a disservice to the employee, because there is no way that if you think they're failing, I mean, except for those people that think they're adding so much value, but in general, <laughs> in general, if it's not working out for you, it's probably not working out for the employee and you keeping mm -hmm. the employee in the seat for whatever reason, it's not good for you. It's not good for that person. And it's not good for the culture of the team. So I think yeah. we as leaders have to be brave enough and kind enough to the team and to the employee and make tough decisions when they're required and not be like scared of them. So that's my parting thought. Uh, and, and, a, and a great one to wind up on because I think it really sends a message to our audience too to, to be thinking about as leaders because when you're facing an, an un, a situation where someone's underperforming, they're just not the right fit, it feels like the kind thing to do to keep them on and keep trying like crazy to develop them over and over and over again, have the same conversation, trying to improve things. But maybe the kinder thing to them and to the broader organization is to figure out a way to part ways amicably and quickly so they can move on. And I think you're right. This is interesting. I think people don't see it as a kind move a lot of times. But it's not kind for the employees that are working hard they're in their right seats and they're trying to drive a positive bottom line. And it's, it's not kind of have someone else on. That's just a huge distraction to the end of that. But it's also so. not kind for the employee because everybody wants to, to add value to the world. Yeah. Of course, in the moment that you manage someone out is tough, but I still get have to see a move like that, that I made where in the medium term, the employee that left the organization didn't land in a better spot. I love so, it. 
think we should be kind to everyone. Great, great parting thought. Sort of like a, a something to something really meaty for our listeners to think about as they go about their day. Thanks everyone for listening, and thank you, Cynthia. Thank you, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.